Hello and welcome to the first episode of High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann Bird. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great show planned for you. Dr. Candace Creaseman is here, and we're going to be discussing red flags in dating that might be predictors of toxic, unhealthy, and possibly even abusive behavior later on. Before we get to the interview, I just want to explain the mission of the High Heels and Heartache podcast. When I was coming up with this podcast, creating the name was a very difficult challenge because I wanted it to reflect the daily lives of women, how we have these fantastic things in our lives, but we also might have some things that need attention, some upsetting parts of our lives or or even traumatic things that we're working through. So I thought high heels and heartache was the perfect name because some days we're gonna talk about the high heel part of life, which is our happy, fun-loving sides. And other days we're gonna address the heartache side. And today we're gonna be discussing some heartaches. I am a survivor of an abusive relationship where there was some domestic violence. And when I escaped that relationship, I was lucky enough to have the support system that was really strong. I had family and friends who absolutely loved me unconditionally and really guided me through. I had some good therapy to help. (laughs) And I also had access to survivor stories. And those stories really helped me because I didn't feel so alone or isolated when I was hearing those stories. I felt connected to those people's experiences. And during this time, I couldn't shake the feeling that other women didn't have all the resources that I was lucky enough to have. And I wanted to do something that would reach those women and and help them. My best friend suggested that I do a podcast and I was like, oh, okay, thinking that is never gonna happen. But here we are. So domestic violence really touches everybody. And I wanted the podcast to be a resource if you're in a relationship you think might be abusive, if you're out of a relationship that was abusive and you're doing some reflection, maybe you have a friend, family member, coworker who is maybe in an abusive relationship and you're looking for resources to kind of make sense of what that person is going through. I hope that this podcast can be a resource to you. Now, when we do discuss domestic violence or abuse, the way that the show is going to be set up is we're going to have a survivor story and then we're going to connect it to a professional with expertise in what we're speaking about. Sometimes it's going to be my survivor story. Sometimes it's going to be other people's survivor stories. But we're always going to have an expert here that's going to help give us their professional opinion on the survivor story. I think that's really important because then we, we get both of those things that are, that are really good for recovery in an abusive relationship. So coming up next will be my interview with Dr. Candace Creaseman. Thanks so much for being here.
Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Creaseman. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Creaseman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Dr. Creaseman is a therapist, author, and meditation teacher. She has over 10 years of experience treating clients with mood disorders, personality disorders, chronic pain, and also addiction. She's in private practice in Raleigh, North Carolina, where she works primarily with women who have survived domestic violence and sexual assault. Her goal is to help clients develop awareness and self-compassion so they can live full, intentional lives. She's also a contributor contributor to the meditation app Insight Timer. She's a foundational teacher for Aura Health, and she's an expert contributor for Marriage.com. So she's one of the best, and we're very lucky to have her here. Well, you're very kind. <laughs> very <laughs> okay, happy to Dr. participate. Kreisman. So we're going to talk about really red flags in relationships, right. um, things that might be indicators of trouble to come down the line. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to tell you some things that after being out of my abusive relationship... I've noticed might have been red flags that I missed Mm -hmm. and feel free to just chime in on the things you hear from me and things you've heard from other clients about those experiences. Okay. So, um, I met my abuser online. Mm -hmm. I had moved to a new city. I didn't really have a lot of friends. I worked from home. I didn't really have a big network of people to pull from. Mm -hmm. Um, so I met my abuser online and my first date with him was what I would call a normal first date. Um, Some of the compliments he gave me, I think I might consider now a little over the top. Okay. They weren't really like, your hair looks nice. Mm -hmm. It was more like, oh, you're so intelligent. Mm -hmm. You're very different from most of the girls I've met online Mm. because you're so smart and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, really working hard at your job. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I was really hungry for that kind of affirmation. Right. Um, and so that really felt good. Um, immediately, we started seeing each other very frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and he introduced me to his family probably within the first week of our first date. Okay, we can pause there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and this I think points to a red flag that is often really disheartening for a lot of people to hear about because that fast moving, really intense pace, um, feels like an indicator that, oh, well, this must be right, you Mm -hmm. know, um, because we want to deeply connect with people and we want that to happen quickly. We don't want to wait six months before we feel like we have a good, strong, intimate trust and connection with someone as evidenced by things like meeting their family mm-hmm. and kind of becoming a, a daily part of their lives. And when that intensity is coupled with a lack of respect for boundaries, okay, you know, that's a good indicator that, well, this intensity may actually be evidence of a red flag of someone who could potentially, at the very least be an unhealthy partner, and at the very worst, be a potentially abusive partner, right? So when you're talking about boundaries, Mm -hmm. would you say one of the boundaries would be not allowing any space? Your partner is not allowing you any space from them. Absolutely. So when we have this uh, sort of we see each other a lot, we're talking on the phone all the time, we're texting back and forth, that's great if the rest of your life also fits around that. 
You know, so when a partner is saying, yeah, sure, I love talking to you every day and I get that you need to go to bed before 3 (laughs) a.m. So, you know, yeah, that's totally fine. Let's start wrapping our conversations up earlier. Then that's evidence of intensity that also comes with healthy boundaries. But when a partner is saying, you know, I can't believe you don't want to talk to me like I feel so connected to you. Um, I just want to talk to you all the time. When a partner starts to use guilt to keep you doing things that are actually not good for you, mm-hmm. then that is evidence that that partner is not respecting your boundaries. Okay. Yeah. So when we discuss kind of the partner trying to sort of commandeer your life, yeah, like they want to spend all their time with you, they're using guilt to manipulate you. Yes. I, I totally understand that because... I moved in with my abuser very quickly, probably mm-hmm. a month into the relationship. Mm-hmm. And again, it just, it felt like we were, you know, in our early thirties, things were just moving quickly and they right. were intense. Um, but one thing I wanted to hold on to was I wanted to con- continue to do the dance class mm-hmm. that I love to do. Right. And <clears throat> my dance class was about a half an hour away from his home that I now lived in, mm-hmm. um, I would spend two hours at dance class and then again another half an hour ride home. Mm-hmm. And the way that he got me to give that up was not to say, Kendall Ann, don't go to dance class. Right. The way that he manipulated me into giving it up was saying, I miss you so much. Oh, gosh, Yes when you're gone. Right. It makes me so sad when you're not here. And I think that is such a critical point because so often we think of people who are going to be abusive as always taking an aggressive, harsh stance. Mm -hmm. And so we think, oh, well, I'll be able to spot someone who's just trying to control me by telling me what I can and cannot do. But what we don't anticipate is that a person will take this sort of passive, seemingly vulnerable stance where they use guilt, just Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, to shape our behavior and to shape our behavior in a way that keeps us isolated, um, which, I mean, in the very beginning of your story, you mentioned how you were already kind of vulnerable to that by being in a new place and not having a lot of connections, right? Mm -hmm. So this one activity that you find that really brings you joy and maybe connects you to other people is a target for this abusive person to eradicate, Mm -hmm. right? So other people might see that in like being isolated from their church group. Maybe suddenly your faith is a problem for your abuser. And it won't be a problem, just as you say, in this very direct, don't do that, don't go. It'll be this more insidious way of convincing you, oh, you know, those folks really don't treat you very well or... Oh, making them like the enemy. Yeah. So there's definitely an us versus them kind of dynamic that can be created. Um, But certainly guilt Mm -hmm. is really the the weapon of choice for shaping behavior for abusers. Yeah. Another thing that I found was um, anytime I would do anything socially, and again, I didn't have a big group of people to hang out with, but Mm -hmm. I did have my cousin who lived in the city at the time. And when I would go out with her, when I would come home, there would be big discussions about how much he missed me. Mm -hmm. But while I was gone, he was constantly calling me and texting me. Yeah. But it was under the guise of, we live in a big city and it's not safe for you to be out with just one other girl. Yes. I'm protecting you from the big 
cruel world. Absolutely. Another red flag there. Okay. Yeah. So we sort of see that with people might guilt you out of your activities or people might try to get you to not do them under the guise of, I'm trying to protect you from yourself. Right. Because you can't make good decisions. And if we check that out, do we really want to be with someone who sees us as, you know, a fragile snowflake? (laughs) That's an excellent point. Yeah. Manage their own social lives. Um, So, yeah, I think that is an incredible point because what that's also doing, aside from communicating this message that you can't really handle things, so you Mm -hmm. need someone like me, someone who's strong to step in. Um, is it's also becoming just a time interference. So while you are trying to have time that is investing in other relationships and other activities, this person is not respecting that time boundary Yeah, and is pushing themselves into activities that don't need to be about them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, any good relationship could withstand three hours a week worth of you being at dance yeah. <laughs> without that person texting you 25 times, mm-hmm. you know. That's a great point. So sort of what I'm hearing is one of the first things you should be looking for is just basic, the person trying to isolate you. Absolutely. And they're going to do it through a variety of different ways, Mm -hmm. but the isolating Mm -hmm. is a pretty big indicator because if you don't have great friends to talk to or other activities that you're involved in, Mm -hmm. then they become the center of your life, which is really what they want. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good one to look out for. Um, another one that looking back now I see was he was always trying to get information from me mm-hmm. without giving me reciprocal information. Yes, that's huge. And I saw it as, oh my gosh, this man cares about my hopes and my dreams. Right? He is so good. Like he listens to everything I have to say. I can just talk for hours mm-hmm. to him and he's not judging me. He's just mm. listening and providing great feedback. Right. And it didn't occur to me until other people asked me questions about him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know the answer to that. Right. Yeah. And I felt like it was really one-sided. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to what that was? What yeah. What is that person trying to do by pulling all of that information from you? Right. Well, I think for one, it's... I don't get too much into what the abuser is trying to do okay. just because, like, I don't care. Gotcha. (laughs) I don't care what they need. Um, You know, if they decide they're going to come to therapy to work on themselves, then I'll care about their needs. Gotcha. So what I hear, though, in your position and what I think makes this, um, this being, you know, domestic violence, such a prolific issue is that the beginning of the relationship plays so heavily on our natural needs in Mm -hmm. relationship. Like we want someone, just as you say, who's interested in our lives and who's, you know, willing to be present and non-judgmental. And um, so when we hear someone who is really wanting, really willing to dive into what maybe we hold some shame around in our lives, you know, Mm -hmm. difficult past experiences, painful past relationships, things like that that feels like the beginning of a real trusting intimacy. Mm -hmm. But intimacy is not a one-way street. (laughs) Good point. You know, it really has to go both ways. So if a person is willing to ask a lot of questions but withholds a lot of answers for their own 
experience, mm-hmm. then we have to wonder, okay, well, maybe this person's motivation isn't really about connecting because connection requires both people to participate yeah, in that way. That's a great point. Another thing I found was later down the line, it almost turned into everything you say can and will be held against you oh, that gosh. you told me three months ago when we were first dating and maybe yeah. you said you have body issues. You know, I remember telling him mm-hmm. that I, I always was like so jealous of my sister cause my sister is like so gorgeous with a perfect body. Mm-hmm. And I was, I always felt so envious mm-hmm. of her because I knew I was never going to be built like that. And I, She's a very hard worker at her body, <laughs> but it just made me so envious of her. And then later on, when we're in a relationship and he says, well, you'll never be hot like your sister. Oh gosh. And it, it takes you a second, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I thought that that was an exchange that we were having here. That was again, that intimacy that right. now you have really exposed. Yeah. And exploited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because intimacy is not necessarily just sharing personal details. It's the trust that we build around sharing Mm -hmm. those personal details, you know, which implies that, okay, I'm going to tell you this. And that means that you don't get to use it against me. Yeah. So that would be another red flag to look for is if your intimacy is just you telling that person, everything, the Mm -hmm. deepest parts of your soul and not getting anything back. Right. And another kind of caveat to that is sometimes um, abuse, potentially abusive partners will share some details of their lives, but they'll do it in a way that creates this like sacred trust. You know, I've never told anyone this before. You know, you're the only person I've ever opened up to about fill in the blank. Um, Which again, that in and of itself is not necessarily problematic. Because it would feel good. Absolutely. That someone, you're the only person in the world that that person trusted to tell you that secret. And if it's two weeks into your relationship and you're suddenly the only person that they can tell the dark secrets of their (laughs) lives, like maybe that's when the hair on the back of our neck goes up a little bit. Yeah, that's a great point. Because that may be indicating, if nothing else, that this person necessarily doesn't have healthy trust Mm -hmm. with other people. So again best case scenario, um, they're not necessarily really great at communicating their experiences to people at relationship building. Worst case, they're using that as a strategy to create a sense of, you know, we are in this together. It's us versus them. Like fake intimacy. Right. Exactly. That's a great way to think about it. Fake intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So we have some good red flags we've already discussed, and I just want to, I got to say this one, dishonesty. Oh gosh, that's a huge one. Dishonesty, and the way that it's just was pushed back on me, like I would not accept him, and therefore he had to tell me lies. Right. Like the first lie that I caught him in was that he told me he didn't smoke, Mm -hmm. and then that was not the case. He was still a smoker, mm-hmm. which to be perfectly honest, if he would have been like, yeah, I smoke from mm-hmm. the beginning, I probably would have been like, okay. Mm-hmm. But to make up a lie that he wasn't a smoker mm-hmm. and then come back around and have me find, yes, he was, it just, it was so, it felt disheartening. Like, why are you lying about this? Right. Um, another lie was um, when I moved into his home, I found receipts from when his ex-girlfriend lived there and the mm-hmm. timeline 
didn't jive mm. about mm-hmm. when he said she lived there and the receipts that I had found. Right. And I didn't wasn't searching through stuff. <laughs> the receipts were in a linen closet right. that was moved some towels. There are the receipts. Mm-hmm. So speak a little bit about dishonesty. Yeah. Well, and again, um, so many of these red flags can be indicators at best of a really unhealthy and eventually very dissatisfying relationship and worst case of someone who is going to become really emotionally and physically violent, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And dishonesty is probably one of the ones that connects most to the likelihood that someone is going to be really, really problematic in your life. Uh Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think if you find yourself feeling like you're going into detective mode Mm -hmm. early on in your relationship, um, it's certainly worth checking out, you know, if you have your own baggage around suspicion, you know, or um, if you have mistrust that Mm -hmm. maybe we're projecting onto the other person. But when you start to see inconsistencies like that, I don't smoke. Oh, wait, yes, I do. Um, you know, I broke up with my girlfriend three months ago. Oh, okay. Well, you clearly went to dinner with her last week. Yeah. Um, then those are absolutely some indicators that this is a person who is not showing up authentically to the relationship. Yeah. You know? And so again, just like that fake intimacy, um, authenticity, being honest, these are absolutely required for real intimacy to happen. Yeah. And one thing that I found was, When I would find the truth, it was always turned back on, it was my fault that he lied. Yes. Like he did not graduate college, Mm -hmm. which that's fine for me. You don't have to be a college graduate to date me. Mm -hmm. But when he, when I found out the truth, because a family member of his slipped, then it was, well, I couldn't tell you because you have a college degree and a master's. Mm -hmm. So I thought you would judge me Mm. if you knew the truth. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I felt like it was my fault that I had done something to my partner to make him feel like I would judge him. And I felt awful about that. Yeah, But he was a liar. Right. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely a red flag um, around an inability to take responsibility for Mm -hmm. one's own choices. You know, so um, to immediately push off the de- the decision that he made mm-hmm. to not share on you is basically communicating, I don't really have a willingness to own my mistakes. Gotcha. Because in any healthy relationship, if someone gets caught in a lie, which lies can certainly happen in healthy relationships, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all human, <laughs> you know, so if someone gets caught in a lie in a healthy relationship, then ideally that, that partner is going to say, oh my gosh, you're right. I just... I just didn't think I could tell you. I, you know, I was feeling really insecure about that. They own the insecurity rather than push it off and project it onto the other person. Well, you know, I just assumed you would be judgmental. Yeah. It's one thing if the partner has really concrete evidence to say, well, you know, you've demonstrated that you're really judgmental in all these ways. Mm-hmm. And so I had kind of a realistic fear that you weren't going to be very accepting of that. But to just throw it out there as this sort of, well, you know, you were going to be judgmental. I couldn't trust you. If they don't have evidence to back that up, then that's really pointing toward their own inability to take ownership and hold themselves accountable for their choices and behavior. That's a great point. Uh, Another point is I feel like 
lots of times abusers really don't have any empathy for the people that they abuse. And one red flag that I saw was when, when I was in high school, I got into a small car accident. Mm -hmm. I was a passenger in a small car accident and it, it has frazzled me. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I get a little anxious Mm-hmm. in a car and my abuser was an aggressive driver. Mm-hmm. And when I would tell him he was making me feel uncomfortable, right? it was always my fault, mm. which I, I mean, I did feel like, well, maybe I'm too sensitive about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to back off. Maybe I am critical. Maybe I just need to relax. Mm-hmm. When really he wasn't saying, Oh, Kendall Ann, I'm sorry I'm making you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Let me adjust my driving. Mm. So can you speak a little bit to that lack of empathy and, and what that might mean? Yeah, and I think it really is useful to characterize that kind of behavior on his part as a lack of empathy because if we can't put ourselves in the shoes of our partners such that we're able to say, okay, I can see why she would feel this way, then it is really kind of impossible to be responsive to a partner's needs, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I hear how his choice to continue to drive aggressively, even when you're asking him, hey, this really makes me uncomfortable, um, really kind of points to his willingness to exploit your own lack of confidence in your emotional reactions, Gotcha. You know, so I'm wondering, oh gosh, maybe I am overreacting. Maybe it is because I'm an anxious person. What else do I overreact yeah. about with him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were willing to kind of take full ownership of that and he was willing to kind of dump that mm-hmm. on you, right? So if if a partner um, tends to be like really critical of your emotional reactions, um, you know, or tends to just jump into, um, you know, oh, well, if you're mad about that, then, um, you know, that coworker just, I'll, I'll go talk to him. I'll, I'll take care of it or whatever. If, if the reactions don't reflect a sense of, I connect to the emotion that you're feeling. Yeah. I can see why that would make you anxious. I can see why that would make you angry. Um, and that person's going to have a real hard time actually being supportive. So if, if maybe the person delivers a criticism to you Mm -hmm. and I mean, criticism hurts from anybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if the person delivers a criticism and and you say something back and that person says, oh my God, you're so defensive. Right. That yeah. would be something to look for. Yeah. Not like, oh, you know what? I, I could have put a little sugar on that criticism right. to make it not hurt so much. Yeah, sure. So if there's really no way for your partner to ever be wrong, Mm-hmm. That's absolutely a red flag. Okay. You know? So um, certainly we can have, anybody can be defensive and that doesn't mean they're going to be a terrible partner. Yeah. Um, unless they have like habitual defensiveness. You yeah. Know? If there's really no way to reach resolutions when you have a problem or a conflict with your partner because they're never going to own any part of it. Yeah. Then that's always going to be an issue. So if they say something critical of you and mm-hmm. you don't just simply take the criticism perfectly, then and they get angry at that, Mm -hmm. then that's probably something to look out for. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Um, 
I mean, it's always difficult when we're talking about conflict because most of us don't do that particularly well. Yeah, you know, we yeah go, go into a bookstore and look at the self-help section. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's really, it does take a lot of discernment to recognize the, the indicators that a person is coming into conflict um, either without the skills or with really bad intentions mm-hmm. um, such that you can't work through learning how to fight better. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, another red flag that I found was, and this speaks to the isolation portion, mm-hmm. but, um, and it wasn't until I got out of the uh, relationship and my mom mentioned to me, you know, every time he, we, you and I were on the phone and he would pull up in his car from work, mm-hmm. you would immediately hang up the phone. Mm, wow. And I didn't even realize that that was something that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because I felt like when I was in his presence, I needed to be 100% devoted to his needs. Right. Um, so is, is there something there about if a person is making you feel like not only you can't go to church, go to dance class, hang mm-hmm. out with your friends from work, but even in their physical presence, they need you to be just attuned mm-hmm. to everything, their every need. What is that? Uh, I think that is the result of some really powerful conditioning. Yeah. You know, I mean, it sounds like he really... Um, for lack of a better word, trained you, you know, because we're training people all the time, for better or worse. Um, But he really trained you to um, be all about him uh, and likely out of a combination of guilt and fear. Yeah. You know, but not in a loving way, not in a loving way. No, no, because love um, really allows room to be a whole person. Yeah, it makes you, know, you better. It makes you better. Um, it allows room for your other relationships, for your interests, for, um, you know, just other facets of your life can show up in a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And they support that. And they support that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What yeah. other red flags in, in your counseling have you seen that people should probably keep an eye out for? Right. Well, I mean, I think you've definitely hit on some of the... Um, most important ones and some of the ones that can be uh, the trickiest to label as red flags. Um, And that's part of the reason why I keep making this distinction between it could either be a really unhealthy relationship (laughs) or it could be abusive because I think the moment that we just categorize any red flag as an indicator of abuse, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of women shut down Mm -hmm. because either they can't see themselves as a potential victim of abuse you know, out of pride, out of, you know, a sense of I'm otherwise protected from that sort of thing. Or just ignorance. Or just ignorance. You don't even realize what's happening. Yeah. Um, So, or they haven't experienced any physical abuse Mm -hmm. in the relationship yet. And so the notion of thinking about someone that they likely deeply care about as someone who is potentially going to become physically violent is just so dissonant that we can't imagine that. So that's why I keep saying, you know, best case scenario, this is just not really healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the, the other red flags that I hear about, um, are things like, um, excessive teasing. 
Oh. You know, which seems kind of weird. Um, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying about sharing intimate details and then having those details used against you later. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so if you had expressed a lack of confidence in like, oh, I just really don't, don't like my hair. I wish it was curly. I wish it was straight. I wish it was whatever. You know, for that partner then to make these little kind of jabs about, oh, Hair's looking pretty straight today, huh? You know, these little things that if we just kind of step back from that comment, we hear the the absence of kindness in that. Yeah. Um, But as women, I think we are really kind of conditioned to um, fear being seen as oversensitive, Mm -hmm. you know? And so a lot of times that's how that teasing can be turned around on us is, you know, the person says, well, you know, I was just picking on you. It's a joke. so sensitive. It's just a joke. Yeah. Uh It's just a joke. Um, So the excessive teasing is one. Um, Really just the main thing is this overarching theme of um, not having your boundaries respected, Mm -hmm. you know? So that could be by using guilt to get you to do things that you... Um, don't want to do to get you to stop doing activities that, you know, take time away from the partner. Um, but certainly that can show up in sexual boundaries. Okay. You know, so if a partner is really kind of pushing you to engage in activity, maybe sooner than you'd like, or Mm -hmm. in ways that don't feel comfortable. And they're also dismissive or rejecting of, um, your no Mm -hmm. around that. Um, then that's absolutely yeah a red flag. Yeah. So what do you do to, what's the healthy way to establish really any kind of boundary in a, in a good relationship? Mm. Is that you say, um, hey, I really love dance class and I really need to keep going. It's mm-hmm. great exercise. It makes me feel good about myself. So I really would appreciate if you wouldn't make me feel bad for going. Mm-hmm. Is that the healthiest way? Uh, to establish that boundary or what, what's the way to do it? So, and that's a really good question. I was literally having a conversation with a client about this um, because she's recently uh, started a new relationship after having been in a very abusive marriage for a long time. And she had this real sense of, um, so that things are very intense with this new person that she's dating, mm-hmm. um, moving very fast. She's putting a lot of time into it. And so we talked about, okay, well, what would it look like to set some boundaries with this person? And the immediate thought is, I'm going to have to have this, like, come to Jesus meeting with him. And, like, it's going to be really painful and tense. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to... Dramatic. It's going to be super dramatic, you know. <laughs> we really have to talk. <laughs> Sit down on the couch. We need yeah. to talk. Yeah. But boundaries are not a thing that happens outside. Boundaries are a thing that happen inside. Okay. And then you hold the boundary with your behavior. So for her, she was spending a lot of time talking to this person on the phone at night and her, you know, like all humans, she needs more sleep. Yeah. (laughs) So so her boundary was, okay, I need to get off the phone Mm -hmm. uh, earlier so that I can get a good night's sleep. So the way to set that boundary is to say, hey, you know, it's midnight. I made a deal with myself that I was going to get off the phone before 3 a.m. So 
you know. So it's not necessarily you have to write the person an email saying, moving forward, we we need to hang up the phone by 11.59. No, because you know what's interesting about that is there's actually something inherently disempowering about that kind of boundary setting because what we're doing is we're describing the boundary and then asking the other person to hold it for us. Gotcha. So the boundary should be, you know, you are not going to be on the phone at 12.01. Exactly. You'll be off the phone and then you sort of have to deal with if the person can handle it or not. Exactly. Gotcha. So maybe a more healthy way in my situation is I should have continued to go to dance class. And if he could not accept that, then I needed to look at what does this mean for this relationship? Right. If this person is not allowing me to do the thing I love, mm-hmm. what does that say about our relationship? Absolutely. And I think a precursor to that is uh, having a clear sense of what your boundaries are and if you have any barriers within yourself to really owning those yeah. boundaries. You know, So if we have a sense of, well, I don't know that I deserve time to myself. Oh. I don't know if I'm strong enough to set a boundary. Mm-hmm. Then the boundary itself is not the issue. Yeah. Then the issue becomes, okay, I've got to really kind of find my worth. I've got to really connect with my right to my time and my joy and, you know, to activities that fill me up. And then the boundary will be easier to set. That's really good advice. That's really good advice. I think we all can, that kind of applies to all of our relationships, (laughs) not just, not just romantic ones, but kind of all relationships. Um, One thing that you mentioned to me before, and I think that this is so interesting is we were talking about why people stay in abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how this beginning of an abusive relationship is usually characterized by this really intense, Mm -hmm. profound connection. Mm -hmm. And then later on when things are happening that are awful and traumatic, Mm -hmm. you're still holding on to that beginning. And you said it was sort of like playing a slot machine. Can you you describe that more? Sure. So on just really kind of a, a purely kind of neurological and physiological level, it's not really sexy, but um, (laughs) our reward centers um, respond really strongly to what's called intermittent reinforcement. Okay. Okay. So when we- Is that like Pavlov's dog? Exactly. (laughs) That's all behaviorism that's based on a dog salivating to the sound of the bell. Okay. It's all that. Um, So when when we get a little bit of what we want- Mm -hmm. And we get it erratically, we're actually way more likely to stick around um, and see what we might do this time to get what we want again. Gotcha. So even in situations where it's actually more reinforcing to not know if you're going to get the thing you want, and the thing you want may be um, deep connection. It may be... um, you know, a lot of physical affection. Yeah. Um, when that is sort of held out in front of you as a carrot and it's not really clear mm-hmm. when you're going to get that or what it is that you do in order to get that. Yeah. We're so much more likely to stay stuck than if we even were to have to get what we want all the time. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And it does really speak to why women stay, mm. you know, because you don't, you never know when you're going to get that right. great 
you know, back to the first date feeling. Sure. And when you're going to get the really monstrous side right. of that person. And then there are certainly, you know, factors to consider around, you know, uh, why women stay related to financial control, mm-hmm. related to social isolation, mm-hmm. related to, you know, threats and intimidation around if you tell anyone I'm really going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, so or you're going to destroy my life. If you tell right. anyone I'll what I did to you. I've yeah. heard that so many times. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then you destroy my life because what I've done to you. Absolutely. So there are a lot of moving parts to why women stay. And I think it's really useful to check out the the slot machine component of why it can feel so intoxicating Mm -hmm. to be in a relationship that has really extreme highs and lows. Yeah. Well, this has been really illuminating for just me. And I I hope that the listeners have also learned a lot. We've talked about boundaries, how to set boundaries in yourself, really. Um, Red flags. Is there anything else you want to say to just kind of conclude the conversation? Um, I would say, you know, you had mentioned um, at one point in one of our other talks, you know, the importance of really listening to your gut. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think it really can't be said enough that we can really trust our instincts. Yeah. You know, and I know we, we don't want to trust our instincts when they're pointing to this person that I may really feel a spark with and may really already care about very deeply may not be healthy for me. Um, but we really owe it to ourselves to be responsive to those whispers. Yeah. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Creaseman. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Take care. I'd like to thank Dr. Candace Creaseman again for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you so much for listening. If you are in an abusive relationship and you need someone to speak to right away, please dial the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Their number is 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.